0: This is a horror fiction podcast. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Blood. to the first ever episode of Blood and Burlap. Each episode of the podcast will showcase a story written and performed by myself, your host, K.A. Raffield. Without further ado, tonight's tale is titled Mother of Mercy. The taste of blood assaulted my tongue, bringing the cracked steering wheel back into focus. I'd been so lost in memories that I hadn't felt the soft pink flesh of my cheeks start to shred as my jaw clenched and unclenched. On the drive home from the drugstore, I'd passed a young boy riding his bike, which had spurred images of my own child to crawl to the forefront of my thoughts. It wasn't normal for me to zone out like that Was it a side effect of my new medication, I wondered? Before this week, it had been some time since I'd been to the doctor, mostly because my previous visit wasn't pleasant or voluntary. Back then, I had been clearing some woods around my property when something happened that ended up sending me to the small hospital in town. One minute, I was chopping down a birch tree, and the next, I was in the back of an ambulance. That trip ended in a slew of stitches, a fractured vertebrae, and a severe concussion, leaving me with no real memory of the accident. They monitored me for a night to keep an eye on me, but after being sewn back together and squeezed into a back brace, they sent me home. When I arrived, Mary was already there, waiting to help me inside and take care of me. The second she touched me, I knew I was in love. Ours was a whirlwind romance. Because of the concussion from the accident, I couldn't tell you how we met exactly. I would reasoned that she must have been an at-home nurse that I had met in the hospital. But I didn't think about it much. What I could remember were all the days we spent together while my back healed and how it had been immediately comfortable. It was like we'd been together forever. It didn't matter what we were doing, whether it was simply laying around or taking walks through the woods surrounding the house, she never left my side and just being near her made me feel better. After a few weeks, my stitches dissolved and the constant dull ache in my head went away. That was about the time Mary started showing. She must have gotten pregnant right before we met, but I didn't care. The vast love I had for her made it impossible for me to see that baby as anyone else's but mine. When we realized she was pregnant, despite my injured back, I actually jumped in the air, whooping and hollering. I mean, I was gonna be a dad. There wasn't an ounce of doubt in my mind that we were going to make great parents and our baby mercy would be showered with love mary's pregnancy flew by in the blink of an eye it felt like one day we were celebrating the news of our coming daughter and the next i was waking up in the middle of the night for her to feed mercy was the most beautiful thing in my world time seemed to fast forward and she was no exception to the cliche about how fast children grow up before i knew it mercy's legs were coming in and she could not sit still her favorite game was hide and seek and i loved to watch her scuttle away as i chased her around the house it always impressed me how fast she was and how high she could climb to find hiding spots i treasured every single minute we spent playing together but damn did it wear me out after a while exhaustion hit me like a brick wall but it felt like more than the normal energy drain of having a toddler so i made an appointment for a checkup morning of i snuck out of the house before the girls woke up mary really didn't like it when i left the house but I was determined to get my stamina back for mercy. Thankfully, I was able to schedule my appointment a little earlier in the morning so that I wouldn't get home too late. I went to see a doctor who worked at the same hospital that had Frankenstein me back together. After strolling into the familiar building, I signed in and sat down. 20 minutes later, they brought me to a small room where a nurse drew some blood and dumped a radioactive tracer into my bloodstream. Now that I was prepped, she took me down a sterile hallway to another room where they PET scanned my brain. As a result of the accident in the woods, I'd had some mild brain damage, and the doctor apparently wanted to make sure it wasn't related to the lack of PEP in my step. I waited around for a little while after the scan was finished, until I was led back to the doctor's office. She was rifling through some paperwork and had me take a seat while she pulled a file from the top of a stack of folders. I sat quietly for a few minutes, giving the doctor time to process the information from my test results. As I watched her silently read through my charts, one of her eyebrows arched in confusion, prompting me to break the silence. "'So, any idea why I've been so tired?' I asked. The doctor looked up at me like she'd forgotten I was sitting there. Clearing her throat, she closed the folder and got up to shut the door. "'I don't see anything that's a surefire cause of your fatigue. However, there is something a little strange in your results,' she said distractedly as she looked back at the paperwork in her hands. What kind of strange are we talking about? Well, your brain scans still show some residual scarring on your frontal lobe and sensory cortex from your accident. Have you been experiencing any hallucinations since the last time we saw you? She asked. Not that I'm aware of? I answered, confused. The reason I ask is that non-drug induced hallucinations are typically from a miscommunication between the two areas of the brain that you have trauma in, and hallucinations could be indicative of something else going on. But, if you aren't experiencing any, then the results from your blood test are the only potential culprit I'm seeing at the moment. Have you heard of oxytocin? She asked, finally looking back up at me. Isn't that the love drug? I asked. That's what it's commonly known as, but it's actually a hormone. I don't understand how, but you have a massive spike in your oxytocin levels, she said. I don't know if that's what's causing your fatigue, but it's the only thing that sticks out from your blood work. She talked about how oxytocin naturally occurs in the brain and usually releases when bonding with a person or pet. When you see a baby, it's the force behind that overwhelming urge to care for and protect them. Raising a baby is hard work, so we had to evolve with a hormonal incentive to keep from going extinct, she explained. The doctor prescribed me a hormone blocker and told me to pay close attention to my energy levels. She said to continue my normal routine and that if the meds helped, I should start noticing a difference within a few days. Before I left, I had to ask. This isn't going to make me stop loving my wife and child or anything crazy, right? No, it's just to balance your hormones out and hopefully stop the fatigue you've been feeling, she said. I left her office, feeling optimistic. Hopping in my old truck, I headed to the only pharmacy in town. By now it was late afternoon and the warm breeze coming in through the cracked window felt good on my face. I was hopeful that I'd get my energy back and soon our home would again be filled with Mercy's chitterings as we played hide and seek. Once my prescription had been filled, I grabbed an energy drink and paid for everything. Now that I had something to wash it down with, I swallowed the first pill and started towards home. The drive home is when things started to get weird. Have you ever had a memory change while you're in it? I don't mean the color of your clothes changing when you see a picture and realize that you misremembered the outfit you wore to that 80s party. I'm talking about a real change. A change down to the core. A change that mutates a perfect moment into something you'd rather forget. When I first passed that boy on his bike, he'd pedal me right back into jumping for joy at the news of our coming baby, and a wide smile overtook my face. As I watched that memory play through my head for the hundredth time though, my face fell. Something was wrong. The happiness that I usually experienced felt artificial, like it wasn't actually mine. There was another emotion buried underneath this false elation. Fear, maybe? What was I afraid of? A deep instinctual fear took hold of me like I was a rabbit caught in the jaws of a predator. For the life of me, I couldn't pinpoint the cause of this new horrific stain on my favorite memory. I knew that memories could be influenced with time and even suggestion, but what sparked the change? Why had this playback of that day been so different? After being pulled out of shifting memories by my abused cheek, I noticed that the sun had set and the last light of the day had disappeared behind the horizon. The pinks and purples that usually painted the sky at sunset were replaced by large dark clouds pregnant with summer rains. It was surprising how quick the weather seemed to turn. I turned my attention back to the road, and by that point, was just a few minutes away from home. As I pulled onto the small road that doubled Double our Driveway, I noticed the handful of trees I was able to cut down before the accident stuck out like broken teeth. The low light, passing trees, and jagged stumps somehow gave the impression of being swallowed by the forest. When I finally parked in front of the house, a sense of dread crept over me. The usual warm glow of light through the windows felt harsh and cold. Hairs on the back of my neck stood up as I was hit with a strange urge to turn around and drive away as far as possible. I took one deep breath before getting out of the truck and walking towards the door. Before I even made it halfway, The front door slowly opened. Mary was peeking out, silhouetted against the light coming from inside the house behind her. It's just me, hun, I said, trying to keep the growing unease out of my voice. As I stepped onto the porch, she reached up and grabbed my hand to lead me inside. The instant our fingers locked, the strange anxiety that had been gnawing at the pit of my stomach began to dissolve Being with Mary always made everything better, and I finally started to feel normal again. She looked up at my face, and I could tell she was worried about me. I'm good, just tired and glad to be home, I said, squeezing her hand. I didn't want her to worry, so I pecked her on the cheek and pushed open the door for her. We stepped into the house, and before I could even close the door, Mercy had charged full speed into my legs. Wasting no time, she crawled up into my arms and latched onto my neck, burying her face into me and squeezing me like she would never let go. All the weirdness from earlier that day washed away as a flood of Mercy's love hit me. Everything felt right in the world, With the emotional distress pushed from my mind and the events of the day catching up to me, a cold beer and hot shower were calling my name. After dinner, I grabbed a cold one from the fridge and headed upstairs to the bathroom. As the shower warmed up, I got undressed and pulled the bottle of pills from my pants pocket. The instructions said to take two doses a day. I was a little weary of the small white pills after the weird drive home, but mercy deserved a dad who wasn't tired all the time so i chased down a second pill with a swig of beer and stepped into the steaming shower there's nothing in the world quite like a hot shower burdens stress problems you can almost feel them actually being swept off your back by the heavy stream of volcanic water steam billows and fills every empty space, turning the bathroom into the inside of a warm cloud. The divine combination of suds and hot water washes your body and spirit, while everything that got scrubbed away circles the drain and plummets down into the bowels of the earth. For me, showers were a sanctuary, a place where I could relax, reflect and cleanse That illusion fell to pieces when my fingertips found the edges of my sanity. As I lathered my shoulders with soap, I brushed over a pair of holes just above my collarbone. A growing panic prompted me to look into the small round mirror hanging in the shower. What reflected back didn't make sense. There were two uniform holes surrounded by raw cracked skin on the front of my trap something had pierced or burrowed deep enough into my flesh that the rich red of muscle could be seen inside both punctures each wound was two inches deep and looked like it had been punched out by something sharp and curved they almost looked like a monstrous spider bite Frantically checking the rest of my body, I discovered two other raw patches surrounding dual holes that previously went unnoticed. One was on my calf just below the knee and the other was on my lower back over one of my kidneys. What the fuck are these? I asked out loud. As hot water flowed over me, my fingers explored the edges of the nickel-sized tunnels into my body all three spots were completely numb, just like the leftover scars from the accident. My surroundings started to blur as a tempest of terror overwhelmed me, making my head swim. A wall in my mind came crumbling down and I flashed back into the woods on that day. With axe in hand, I strode up to one of the trees that I marked for removal. It was a crisp, early autumn evening and the chill in the air felt great on my back. I had worked up a sweat with an afternoon of clearing birch trees off my property. I wanted to make space so that I could build a nice workshop but this particularly dense patch was not making it easy for me. The copse of trees was so wild and overgrown that I couldn't see the sky through the branches. After enjoying the cool breeze for a second, I hefted the axe, preparing to chop. A loud crack up in the branches behind me caught my attention and postponed my swing. I whipped my head around to see what made the noise, but before I could look up, something heavy slammed down into me, knocking me on my back. In an instant, ripping sounds rent the air as a feeling of fire spread across my arms and chest. A mess of long black hair whipped around my face, blinding most of my view. All I could see were legs. Long spider-like legs, each tipped with a single hooked claw. They moved like lightning, tearing right through my clothes and leaving jagged blood-filled gullies of mangled skin and muscle. While being trapped under that cyclone of hot pain, I got the feeling that I had disturbed the home of my attacker. In this part of the country, bear attacks aren't unheard of, but this didn't feel like a normal animal. There was a horrifying intelligence in its movements and its attacks. Even in its tactics, the choice to blitz attack and spear me while I wasn't looking seemed intentional. The most obvious sign was the way it blinded me. Every one of my scrambled movements to try and get out from under the assault was followed by a barrage of whipping hair. It seemed crazy, but in the micro moments where I got a glance, it looked like the hair was attached to the back of a human head. At this point, I realized I was still gripping my axe, but was quickly disappointed when I felt it pinned under one of those hooks. Right before hopelessness could overtake me, The head of hair reared back and smashed down into my forehead, crumpling my torn body and sending me into the waiting arms of unconsciousness. I woke up in the back of an ambulance with my nearest neighbor next to me. He was an old hermit who lived alone and kept to himself, but he'd just happened to come by to borrow some gas. Laying in a pool of my own bodily fluids, he'd found me, twitching and bleeding profusely he's the reason I made it to the hospital I remembered cold water pulled me back from the nightmare and into the now freezing shower shakily I turned off the water trying not to collapse in the tub I must have been out of it a while for the water to turn cold Stepping out of the shower, I grabbed my towel and wrapped it around me as I sat on the edge of the tub. The intensity of that flashback had turned my legs to jello. With my head in my hands, I rested there for a minute, just catching my breath and getting my legs back. Feeling completely drained, I threw on my pajamas and left the bathroom. All the lights in the house were off, and the girls seemed to be asleep. Not wanting to wake Mary, I quietly slid into the room. The image that confronted me when I entered our bedroom stole the breath right out of my lungs. Sheer horror flooded through my every vein as the sight of familiar long black hair punched me in the gut. She laid on a large nest of crooked branches stealing the rest of my sanity. Her visage was a nightmare of the old world. Mary was a giant prehistoric looking arachnid with a bloated humanoid torso for an abdomen. The monstrous spider-like creature was asleep on its stomach, its hook-ended legs curled in at its sides. The bulbous torso faced me with its arms crossed as it very gently swayed back and forth above the sleeping beast. Merely an appendage, the thing that I called Mary was just a lure, like a light at the end of an anglerfish. The waist-length hair was greasy and had remnants of the woods tangled all throughout it. Her skin was a sickly gray and stretched taut over her misshaped human frame. In the low light, I could see a sticky sheen of something pus-like covering Mary's skin. It was like a missing puzzle piece had dropped into my life, and I could finally see the whole nightmare for what it was. Images of the doctor telling me about a spike in my oxytocin levels came rushing back to me. I realized that every time Mary touched me, my love for her had seemed to bloom. The hormonally induced artificial bond combined with the hallucination causing brain damage from the assault had kept me blind to what was really happening. Even the horrifying discovery of the holes in my body made sense. She was keeping me docile so that I could be slowly drained. The hormone blockers had set me free. I couldn't let her touch me again. I inched backwards, holding my breath and trying not to make a noise. My eyes never left the thing on its bed and every second felt like a lifetime as I tried to escape that room. Finally, I squeezed through the cracked door and into the hallway. I crept slowly through the house with only one thing on my mind. I had to get to the truck. The keys were hanging up on the wall next to the front door and if I could just make it to the truck, I'd be safe. My brain couldn't process anything else, so it shut out everything but the objective. That's why I didn't hear the crunching beneath my feet or the skittering behind me. As I stepped into what used to be my living room, I realized that Mary had transformed my house. Large, splintered sections of trees and branches filled virtually every space, leaving only a hollow path to move throughout the structure. I shook my head and refocused on the door. Next to it, my keys were hanging on a branch only 15 feet away from me. Carefully, I moved a few feet towards the door, making sure to only step where there were bare spots of floor. I quietly made my way over to the door and grabbed the keys. My hand wrapped around the doorknob, but as I started to pull it open, something launched into my back like a cannonball. My face, smashed into the door, slamming it shut and breaking my nose. Blood erupted from my nostrils and white spots filled my vision. As I turned around, searching for the assailant through the fog of blood and stars, I caught a blur of movement. Something catapulted towards me from a hollow up by the ceiling. Reacting without thinking, my hand shot out and caught it by the front legs. What I held in my hands… It couldn't be my daughter. Not my Mercy. She looked exactly like a miniature version of the thing in my room, except Mercy's abdomen was the size and shape of a toddler. With her front legs locked in my hands, she scrambled furiously trying to bite me. A pair of long curved fangs flexed and dripped with a clear viscous fluid while she struggled. I understood immediately where my mystery wounds had come from. She had been the one feeding on me, not her mother. As soon as this horrible realization hit me, she got a hold of my forearms with her back legs and started slicing them to ribbons. Struggling to hold on through the blinding pain, I swung her down at the ground like a cat in a bag. There was a sickening crunch as her abdomen connected with the ground, head first. The impact dazed the creature, its legs drooping at its sides from the punishment. I swung again, a mixture of anger, loss, and resentment burning inside me. I hated this thing. I hated it for attacking me, for feeding on me. But most of all, I hated it for not actually being mercy. My mercy. The third swing ended the struggle. Mercy's whole body went limp after the last connection with the floor. It split her open, spilling things out of her body that were meant to stay inside. A loud involuntary screech burst from her as her broken body crumpled into the ground for the last time. I dropped the battered beast to the floor, looking around for the truck keys that had been lost in the scuffle. My eyes caught the glint of metal among the branches as a deafening howl shook the house, sounding like grinding metal. I snatched up the keys, but tripped over Mercy's lifeless body on the way to the door. Mary crashed through the bedroom door and into the hallway, causing the walls to rumble. Scrambling to my feet, I threw open the door and leapt out into the rain. The truck was only 30 feet away. Ignoring everything but the truck, I sprinted the distance barefoot and bloody. The door was unlocked, so I jumped into the cab and slammed the key into the ignition. The cold engine stuttered as mournful shrieks of a mother realizing the loss of her child tore through the night. The truck loudly refused to start with every turn of the key giving away my position. Panic and blood loss threatened to overtake me as Mary thundered through the front door. Roaring to life, the engine finally turned over as she turned towards me. I slammed the gas pedal to the floor, aiming 4,000 pounds of rusted steel in her direction. She crouched low, preparing to jump, but wasn't fast enough. Before she could launch to safety, the front end of the truck barreled into her. Pinned to the grill, I drove Mary and the truck straight into the side of the house. Her body burst like a water balloon as we crashed through the wall. Wood had splintered and shredded any remaining bits of her before the truck came to a full stop. I sat there, dazed, trying to catch my breath. When I realized my old truck was still running, I crossed my fingers and put it in reverse. The truck slowly backed out of the house, parts of the wall falling onto the hood. Everything seemed to still be working. Once I turned onto the driveway, I took one last look at what used to be my home and drove away. I had lost a good amount of blood and my face was starting to throb with pain as my adrenaline subsided. I didn't think I'd last all the way to the hospital, so I decided to go to my closest neighbors for help. It took about 10 minutes to get to his house and when I pulled up, all the lights were off. I stumbled out of the truck and up to the front steps before rapping my knuckles loudly on the door. My legs gave out when I heard movement in the house, and I collapsed into unconsciousness before I hit the ground. I woke up on my neighbor's couch, feeling well rested. His wife had her hand on my forehead, checking my temperature I guessed. She had a glow about her that was warm and comforting, like a mother taking care of her sick child. I looked around, having trouble remembering how I ended up at my neighbor's place. My neighbor's wife moved away from me and busied herself in the kitchen. Sitting up on the couch, I yawned and stretched out all the cobwebs from sleep. Where was my neighbor, I wondered. And when did he get married? That concludes our podcast for this evening. For updates, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Blood and Burlap. Until next time, thanks for joining me. Good night.